Hear the word of God from 1 John 1. This is chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship with is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. So good to be with you all this morning. As you can probably tell, we've, we've been having quite a full week just celebrating and, and teaching our kids and just participating in vacation Bible school. Uh, I, Pastor Danny kind of stole one of the stories that, I mean, I, I think that was all one of our favorite lines about Moses being an imposter. Uh, I heard a, each, each day at the end of the, the day, they'd ask the kids, you know, what did you learn? What did you learn today? And I think one of, the, one of the things that stood out at the end of the week, somebody heard one kid say, uh, I learned that Pastor Danny was Moses, so, so we, we've got that too. Um, and some of you may also be wondering, as, as you watch those, those music videos, what, is, what do roller coasters have to do, what does a theme park have to do with wilderness escape? Um, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, I think they probably use that song for other VBSs, so maybe they're just like, this is, this is neutral, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know, I, can't, I don't have the answer to that for you. Um, but what I, wanted, what I do want to do is I want to give a, a special shout out again to, to Megan, our children's director, for just an ama- putting on such an amazing time, amazing week, putting in all the, the hard work, all the effort that she, she spent and just making sure that our kids, that this week was, was perfect. And just it seemed, all, from, from my, my vantage point, it seemed seamless. And so I know that means that she put a lot of work into it. And so we just, we commend her for that, as well as the volunteers for, for the work that they, they put into just leading crafts and games and songs and, and tribe leaders and all of these things. What, what, an amazing, what an amazing thing to be a part of in, in just teaching our kids about who God is. And I just want to say as a, as a, as a firsthand account, as a, as a witness of this, I can testify to this. It is truly a sweet thing to see kids being excited about God. I mean, to, to actually see them just, re, just delighted to, to go and be in this space and to learn about who God is. 
And that when we do things like VBS, we are doing the work of, of planting, of watering, of, of tending as we model, teach, and pray for our children's faith. And so as we, parents, as we, and as church, as we make these deposits in our kids' lives, let's trust God with the growth, okay? Let's trust Him to do the growing. We'll, we'll keep trying to be faithful, and we'll ask for help with that too, but let's trust Him with that. Now, if you're new this morning, you've come at a great time, because this is the first week we're beginning a new sermon series on the, on the book of 1 John, the letter of 1 John. And 1 John answers a really thought-provoking question for us, a thought-provoking question for any Christian, and that is this, how can I know that I have fellowship with God? How can I know that I have fellowship with God? There are many reasons why this question is so, so potent in our minds. I mean, doubt and complacency are common experiences in the Christian life. Life can wear you out, and burdens can drag you down. On top of that, we live at a time when the reputation of the church is concerning. I mean, the church is supposed to be a beacon of truth, a hospital for the spiritually destitute, a community of faith living under the lordship of Jesus. But instead, people outside the church no longer just think that we're wrong, they think we're immoral. And within the church, it seems common to hear of people deconstructing their faith and walking away from God altogether. Some even wonder, how can people who have the gospel in their midst get so many things so incredibly wrong? And if we go one step further, according to a Lifeway research study on the state of theology dating back to last year, about a third of evangelical Christians surveyed, a third agreed with the statement Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Now, when you hear that, when, when you lay all of that out, it's troubling, right? I mean, I find that troubling. And it's troubling in part because we care about the purity of the church, and we should. Jesus himself cares about the purity of the church, his body, and he is invested in the task of purifying it. But we must not become so fixated on what we see as the worst of so-called Christians that we overlook what makes the gospel so ridiculous in the first place. Namely, that Christ Jesus died for sinners. And if I can be so bold, that gives access to fellowship with God to people we are embarrassed to associate with. Those are not unintended consequences. That is the gospel at work. So again, we ask, is this is what we just described here? Is this what fellowship with God looks like? When we look at the church, is this it? I mean, surely there's somebody doing this well that we, that we need to learn from. Where, where do we turn to? Well, one possible solution is that we, we look at the early church. I mean, nobody would question that they had fellowship with God, right? I mean, they're even in the Bible. But let me give you some context to the church receiving this apostolic witness that, that John is writing to. In your jobs, do you, do you ever do these, these thought exercises where you, you think about these, these different scenarios and, and you, you, you kind of ask yourself, what, what would I do if this happened? And you kind of you play, you kind of like 
work that out to its logical end. You're like, I, I tried this. Or, or maybe you come across some, some substantial problem in your life, and, and so you go to a friend and you say, hey, uh, can I ask you a hypothetical question? And then you, you begin to explain this ridiculous scenario that's, that's only hypothetical in a, this is actually happening, I kind of want to know what you would do kind of way. Well, the situation John is addressing here is enough to make your head spin. I mean, there were people coming out of this church who had embraced a deficient view of Jesus. They found the claim about Jesus' humanity to be incompatible with the commonly held view that, that the flesh is evil. Only the spirit is good. They're saying Jesus, Jesus wasn't fully man. Now, these weren't your pre-modern secularists, nor your ancient deconstructionists. These were self-proclaimed Christians. And not only were they confused about what we would call essential doctrines, but they claimed to have spiritual insight that, that put them above the rest of the community. And they went even so far as to claim that they were without sin. So they went around to other churches, naturally, spreading this false teaching. And it was disrupting. It was confusing. People began to question whether they really knew God, if they were truly experiencing eternal life, and if they really understood the truth at all. So you ask your friend, this hypothetical scenario, what, what would you do? What would you do if you were dealing with a church like that, if you're leading a church like that? What would you do? The friend would probably say, well, I, I'd probably pack up and leave. Which is what makes John's response all the more incredible. It's wise. He's pastoral. He's, he's steady. He's, he's not reactionary. He's not... He's not being reactionary in response to them. He's, he's assuring them. He's grounding them. When you become disillusioned about something, you don't need just a jolt to wake you up. You need stability. You need to be grounded. It's like riding a, a roller coaster with all the loops and corkscrews. When you get off, you don't immediately run to the next ride. You, you take a moment to, to find your bearings. Or at least maybe that's, maybe that's age and wisdom. I think if you're a kid, you just go, you're just like excited. But, but when you're, you, as you get older, you're like, man, that kind of hurt my back. So if, if you want to compare, if we want to compare between our day and the early church, what I hear from this is that people are leaving the church claiming a better way. People are rejecting truth claims essential to the faith. And people are wondering what fellowship with God truly is. Now, God has no problem letting even good institutions die. He has no problem with that. We even, you probably can even think of some institutions that, that have been good things that have died, that, that have just fallen away. But his church, God never buries his church. It just keeps limping on. So I don't think our chaos sounds all that new to him. I don't think we should be too concerned. So let's pause. Let's take a deep breath. And let's listen again to the words of John as the Spirit stabilizes us on the solid word of God found in the person of Jesus. He says in verses one through three, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. As we see in this opening chapter of of 1 John, those who have fellowship with God are certain of it because they walk in the light. You don't just stumble your way into the light, but, but it's obvious. When you go from darkness to light, it's obvious. Paul says in in Ephesians 4.18 that those who are in the light are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. People who are not in the light are in darkness. That was all of us. Before coming into the light, you were in darkness. Those who have fellowship with God walk in the light. That's how we know. That was our question. How do we know we have fellowship with God? Those who have fellowship with God walk in the light. In verse 5, John says that God is light. But this light isn't only something to behold. We don't just look at it. We don't just are mesmerized by it. We walk in it. It becomes our way of life to know and be known by God. And we walk in the light when we believe the truth about God. We walk in the light when we speak the truth about ourselves. And we walk in the light when we receive the truth of our salvation. We walk in the light when we believe the truth about God. In the prologue, at the beginning of this letter, John is directly addressing the false claims about the person of Jesus. Have you ever had a rumor make its way to you that was actually about you? It can be kind of funny, right? Like you, the other week, a friend of mine told me that he was, he was a little angry with me because he found out that I, that I wrestled in high school. I was like, well... You don't have to be too mad because that's just not true. I, I, didn't, I did not wrestle in high school. I was approached about wrestling in high school because I was like, you need somebody in that weight division, but I was not interested. So, um, but whenever you receive news or you receive teaching, it, it's important to test it. And how do you test it? You, you hold it up to what's true. You go to the source. John is hearing people question the humanity of Jesus. So his response is to hold up the reality of the incarnation of the word of life. God became flesh. What John is saying to us is this. I know what fellowship with Jesus is like because I was there. I can give you a firsthand account. And not just me, but there were others. We encountered the living Christ in the flesh. I don't don't have fault with you having questions. I mean, even, even the disciples had questions, right? And they, they were there. They saw him too. But to claim that God wasn't in the flesh, don't you think we would have noticed that? We saw him on the cross. I, I ate breakfast with him on the shoreline. I watched Thomas touch his nail-pierced hands. He is the true light that gives light to everyone. God gave us the word in a person and we now speak his very message to you so that you also can be friends of God. And this message isn't merely words to be heard. It's a life to be lived. As N.T. Wright puts it, God continues to speak through the words which Jesus' friends speak and write about him in the intention and hope that others will come to share this same fellowship. You want to know that you have life in God? Then you need to know the one who's the source of life. 
This is the message. God is light and in him there is no darkness. We live in a world surrounded by people and principalities that are not always what they appear. Sarah and I got married while we were, we were still in college. And part of the, the planning leading up to the wedding was, was finding a place to live. I mean, we, we were still in college. Obviously, we didn't have a, a place. And so we were looking online for, for apartments. And we came across this one offer that, that was way cheaper than all the others. So we went to go check it out. And we looked at it. We're like, this is great. But, but we found out that the, the price in person was different from the price online. So we're like, what gives? Oh, you're referring to our roommate deal. For a fraction of the price, you can rent out a room and share a living space with someone else. That could be a reasonable option. No. No, it is not. We're getting married. You think I'm going to live with somebody else? We're just going to share a living space? No. And that's why it's important to read the fine print, right? I mean, it's better, you should be better at researching, looking into all, all of it. But, but, but God doesn't downplay who he is. There's no fine print with God. He lays it out there. He, he doesn't hide things only to say later, gotcha. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. There is no hidden agenda or evil way lurking beneath the surface of who God is. And if you don't believe me, you should go seek him yourself. In fact, I encourage you to do that. Seek the Lord for yourself. You will find that he is who he says he is. The Gospel of John says that no one has ever seen God, and yet he has revealed himself fully in the person of Jesus. So the appeal I want to make to you is simple. People don't walk in the light by forsaking the truth about the light. Knowing God is essential to having fellowship with God. Shocker. But if your knowledge of God leads you to a kind of cold, academic complacency, then you're not learning to know God like I'm talking about. We're not called to stand in the light, keeping, being as far away from God as we possibly can. We're called to walk in the light, drawing ever closer to him. Now, we don't come to church just to disseminate some facts and wax poetic about the God of the Bible. We come to, to learn and have a growing and vibrant relationship with, with God and each other. So at some point this week, I want you to consider this question. Write it down if you have to. I want you to consider this question. What do I believe about Jesus? And how do those beliefs affect my life? What do I believe about Jesus Truly. And how do those beliefs affect my life? That, that sounds so basic. Right? But then, then after you do that, I, I want you to go and find somebody this week and ask them. Ask them this question. Not as a quiz. Not, not as a, a, a way to guilt you. Not as a, a way to fact check you. We don't live in relationship with Jesus and one another because, out, of, out of guilt. We live in freedom as we walk in the light. But... We can't claim fellowship with God if we have all the head knowledge that we just, we have tucked away, but have, but have made Jesus functionally irrelevant in our lives and cold in our hearts. What we believe about Jesus is not the basics that we tuck away in our heads, but deep truths that we need to be pressed into our hearts every day. What we believe matters. It changes us. Is it changing you? Number two, we walk in the light when we speak the truth about ourselves. We walk in the light when we speak the truth about ourselves. 
John Stott says that Christianity is the only religion which, by emphasizing that God is light, first insists on taking sin seriously and then offers a satisfactory solution. Take sin seriously, but then have a way to deal with it. The way to have fellowship with a God who is light is not to deny sin, but to confess our sins and thankfully appropriate and thankfully appropriate God's provision for our cleansing. Now, there's something that we need to know about, about life in the light. And that is, when you walk in the light, everything gets put on the table. There's no elephant in the room in God's economy. Coming before God necessarily reveals the truth about ourselves, which invites us to get real about our sin. Sin is constantly welling up in the human heart, directing people away from communion with God. Sin directs us away from communion with God. But coming under the lordship of Jesus by walking in the light actually thwarts sin's schemes. When we deal with sin now under the lordship of Jesus, it's not as ones who stand condemned. But when we deal with sin, we walk as ones who will be cleansed. Now, there are two potential problems at play here, and John corrects both of them. On the one hand, we shouldn't deny the presence of sin in our lives. This is what the false teachers did. This is what's happening in this church. They claim that in order to have fellowship with God, you must be sinless. And since these teachers believed they were spiritually enlightened, they claim sinlessness. They're like, we're the ones who have fellowship with God. But as verse 10 says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. In effect, we devalue Jesus' atoning work at the cross. We make it irrelevant. This is the error of severity. The error of severity rejects the truth by claiming that no one can come to God unless they are morally perfect. These are the people who say, I'll, I'll come to God when I get my life together. Or those, those, those high achievers who say, I'll mask my problems by my good deeds. It's a half-truth that relies too heavily on human means and downplays the righteous provision of a holy God. Now, most people who fall into this camp rarely have the audacity to think that they've attained perfection before God. It's more common that they overestimate the bondage of sin and underestimate the power of God to heal. But neither should we be cavalier about sin, which is the error of leniency. The error of leniency minimizes the nature of sin in our lives because of the abundance of grace offered by God. This is also a half-truth. Those who are too lenient with sin risk encouraging more sin in the Christian by stressing God's provision for the sinner. People who fall into this error are never broken over their sin. They don't even see sin as a big deal because Christ covers it, which is exactly why it's a big deal. The first group needs to hear that your sin is not too bad for Christ to cleanse you. Your sin is not too bad for Christ to cleanse you. The second group needs to hear that your sin was so bad that Christ had to die for you. Though at face value, the error of leniency exaggerates the provision of Jesus. That sounds like such a good thing. Like, yes, Jesus has done it for us. He's covered us. It actually belittles the cost Jesus paid at the cross. There's no real remorse and no real repentance we must guard ourselves by rejecting both errors. 
And John's corrective is simple. You experience fellowship with God not by making God's forgiveness unattainable, nor by making it unnecessary, but by understanding that it is vital. Understanding that it is vital. We don't leverage ourselves into the presence of God by our own worthiness, nor do we downplay the cost of the cross. The light reveals what's really there, whether we want to see it or not. So we can stop downplaying sin, and we can stop exaggerating sin. A right view of ourselves recognizes the continued need for renewal and the gracious work of God to renew. A true condition of fellowship with God confesses sin and rests in Christ. So here's what we can do. We need to practice gospel confession. We need to practice gospel confession. We, we need to build time within the rhythms of our week for confessing sin to the Lord as honestly and as openly, as specifically as we possibly can. Maybe you've been angry this week. Then you can confess, Lord, I've been angry. But don't just stop there. Keep going. Ask the Lord. Seek to understand and consider how that's affecting your relationships with others, how that's affecting your relationship with the Lord. Ask the Lord to reveal your heart more clearly so that you can trust Christ more deeply. Maybe you realize, wow, I, I've been really angry with my coworker. Or I, I've been really harboring bitterness in my heart toward my friend. Or, whoa, I, I really shouldn't have said those things to my family member. Bring it to the Lord. Be honest with Him. Face Him. Confess to Him and then trust Him. Receive His forgiveness. Then go and apologize to your brother or sister if you need to. And if they need to apologize to you, forgive. Seek to forgive them. Number three, we walk in the light when we confess, when, sorry, we walk in the light when we receive the truth of our salvation. We walk in the light when we receive the truth of our salvation. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And in 1 John 2.1, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Which raises an interesting question for us. Should we expect to reach a level of maturity in which we no longer give in to sin? If we achieve that level of perfection, wouldn't we be doing exactly what John is warning, is walking in darkness? Really, what we want to know is, as Christians, should we expect to keep on dealing with sin? That's dealt with, right? There's a tension at play in the text. But it's resolved insofar as we understand the nature of Jesus' ongoing role as our advocate. As we mature in Christ, we become more aware of our sin and we confess it. Not flippantly, not half-heartedly, but honestly, specifically, to the extent as we are able. That doesn't mean we become sinless, but we are learning to live our lives in light of our salvation in Christ. This is how Jesus continues to purify you. This is Jesus' ongoing ministry toward you. 1 John 2.1 tells us how God responds to Christians dealing with present sin when they are in the light. The nature of the language is cause and effect. If anybody does sin, Christ advocates. If anybody does sin, right? Surely we will. 
Surely we will sin. Christ advocates. Surely he will. We sin. He advocates. We fall. He advocates. The word in Greek literally means one who comes alongside in time of need. That's what advocate means. One who comes alongside in time of need. And and what does this support of us sound like? Well, 1 John 2.2 tells us it sounds like his atoning sacrifice for our sins. Interestingly, he speaks of the work at the cross as a past event, as a a past event. He, He speaks of the work of the cross, which is a past event as an ongoing reality. It doesn't say he was the atoning sacrifice. It doesn't say he atoned for our sins, which he did. He did do that. But it says he is the atoning sacrifice, ongoing. Meaning because, Jesus is, because of Jesus' finished work at the cross, we no longer have to, to live in fear of constant disqualification. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And he's doing that even now. And so you can go to him. We confess to him honestly, knowing that he will, he will forgive, he will purify. As we said, when we walk in the light, we're exposed to the truth about ourselves. And it's also becoming clear to us how God brings about our purity. He's exposing us, and as we continue to draw near to him, we find that God, God is actually drawing near to us. That's actually what James means when he says in, in James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, we, we hear those words with, with the rebuttal, but, but I thought it wasn't by works. Brother, sister, try again. Your ears are out of tune there. Because what God is saying to us is this, those who draw near to God are doing so because they have humbled themselves. They are coming to grips with the reality that the world has lied to them. They had been walking in darkness, but now they are learning to embrace the light. The world would have you believe that your biggest problems are outside of you, and the way to overcome them is within you. But the truth is that our biggest problems are within us, and the only way to overcome them is found in Jesus. So those who draw near to God aren't doing so out of merit. They're doing so in confession. They're saying, God, you were right about me. God, you were right about me. And what people who walk in the light discover is not a God who said, I told you so. They find a God who says, yes, but did you see what my son did for you? Be healed. Be cleansed. And so my encouragement to us this morning is this. You have a friend in Jesus. Remove from your minds even the peripheral notion that one day you will graduate out of needing him. Instead, press into his presence and trust his provision. Let him become greater in your life. As you do, you are learning to forsake the darkness as you walk in the light. And in the light, there is fellowship with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come before you as ones who are learning to, to continue on this journey, to walk in the light. Lord, to see you for who you truly are. And because we see you for who, who you truly are, because we're learning to, to live our lives in the light, we're learning the truth about ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would have grace for one another.
as we learn to live in community together, extending grace as you extend grace to us, as, as we seek to, to uh, gently and humbly walk with each other, as we, we learn of these, these realities, these things about ourselves that are hard to, to receive, hard to hear. But Lord, may we, may we practice this kind of confession that understands we, we don't stand in our guilt, but that we are actually being cleansed because you, you are healing us, Lord. You have healed us. You are healing us. We can trust you, Lord. We can pr- trust the finished work of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.